Roger, Roger. Check, check. There you go. We're good. All right, wonderful. You can open to 2 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we'll start today. 2 Samuel in chapter 17. I want to thank everyone uh, for their efforts in February and continued effort in March for I Love My Church Month. Much was accomplished and still uh, some to do, but thank you so much for uh, investing and putting into our church and uh, being a part of it. Um, we, we love when you, when you show up. That's the most important thing, uh, but uh, we like it when you're able to jump in and get involved in other areas as well. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, we're into March now and kind of our thought in March is marching forward, going on with our theme for the year of forward in 2022. And, uh, you know, we've got this conference coming up on Thursday and Friday for the Small Church Pastors Conference. So a lot of my mind has kind of been on things for the conference and um, sessions and conversations that we're going to have during the conference with the other pastors. So obviously on my mind uh, as we prepared for this week's sermon was our church and uh, looking at kind of what God would do or will do through our church and what kind of impact that Bible Pathway can have in our current situation, where we are right now with the people that we have right now. Yes, we're small. Uh, our, our pastor is busy outside of church stuff as well, a lot of time consumption and things like that. Uh, some drive a very long distance to get here. And, uh, and it takes commitment, right, to be a part of a church. And I think we're doing that. I think that's good. Uh, so my question then to God is, God, what can our church do? What kind of impact can our church have, being that we are a small church? Are there smaller churches? Sure. Are there larger churches? Yep, a lot of them. But what can our church do? And so today's sermon is entitled, Small Church, Big God. Um, I may, this may be a practice run for the conference this week, and I, uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. If it goes well, we'll preach it in the, in the conference this week, and if not, we'll scrap it. You guys are my guinea pigs, all right? Uh, but uh, small church, big God. We're going to look at three examples in Scripture uh, of where um, a, a small person or thing was used in a mighty way of God. We've talked about all these stories before. We've looked at all these things before. So it's not going to be new, but I'm praying that God will use it to be fresh and something um, uh, just relevant for us today, something that can help us today. So let's pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll look at these, these stories. God, thank you for letting us come this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to open your word and present it. God, I'm so thankful that there are people here today uh, to, to hear this message. And God, I pray that as I present it, I pray that I would do it clearly and I pray that I would do it correctly. And God, I ask you, as I've already asked you several times, Lord, would you please use this today to help us, uh, to teach us and to grow us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 2 Samuel, or excuse me, 1 Samuel. If I told you 2 Samuel, I apologize. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I typed it as 2 Samuel, but uh, that's, the, that's the wrong thing. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David and Goliath. When you think of small things that God used in a great way, most people would come to this story first, as we do today. The story of David and Goliath is one that if you grew up in church, you heard from a very early age. And I think sometimes when we get into the, the story of David and Goliath, we get caught up into the story mode of David and Goliath. The underdog versus the uh, overwhelming favorite. The young boy versus the adult giant. The stone versus the sword and spear. And all these other things that sometimes, especially in today's day and time where we have all these superhero movies, and all these other things that maybe it can draw our mind away from the truth that is in the stories, which is in, those things are included in it. But there's so much in David and Goliath that is so much more than just a children's story. There's so much we can learn from it. And when we're looking at how can our church have an impact for God, I think we can learn some things from David and Goliath. First, we have to ask the question, how did David have a big impact? Because you know David had a pretty large impact 
on his nation, on his family, on, uh, on uh, his enemies, all of those sorts of things. So how was he able to do that? Well, first of all, I think it's important that we see he was humble. When we look at how God can use our church and what kind of impact our church can have, we need to be humble in what we do. And David was humble. And by humble, he was obedient. He was willing to lower himself under authority. And he was unselfish. In verse number 15, we see in 1 Samuel 17, it says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine, I'm sorry, verse 14, And David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul, but David then went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So he was the shepherd. He was the youngest of the boys. All his brothers were in the army. They were in the, the military. They were off to war. And David had done what he was supposed to and went and did some things that his dad told him to do. Now he was coming back to get back to his regular job, feeding the sheep, tending to the sheep, being a shepherd. David might be one of the most, most famous shepherds uh, of all time. When we think of David, we think of lots of things, but typically we'll think of David as a shepherd many times as well. And his willingness, and we don't have all the conversation, we don't know what the conversation was like between him and his father. Maybe he was your stereotypical teenager, young man who, who come on, Dad, I want to be out at the war. I want to be wherever. I don't know. But everything that Scripture gives us shows us that he was humble and obedient to his father and did the task that his father asked him to do. In verse number uh, 20, it says, And David, this is now um, his dad tells David to go to, to take some stuff to his brothers. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. That's his dad. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. We see again now David giving a task. If you're, how many youngest do we have in the room today? Youngest in the family? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Uh, we are the elite. Okay. <laughs> Mama's favorite. Um, David was the youngest, and if you're the youngest, you know there are tasks. Sure, you get away with some stuff, but there are tasks that you're given because you're the youngest that you sit there and go, well, why doesn't he have to do it or she have to do it? And the answer is they did it years before you, <laughs> uh, and now it's your turn. But anyways, uh, we get tasks that are assigned to us that we look at and think, why do I have to do this? Nobody else is doing it. But because I'm the youngest, I'm the one doing it. And, and, and now David was carrying out his responsibility as the youngest, as, a, as the shepherd now, the only one home uh, of the kids taking care of things. And, uh, and his dad then says, David, I want you to go and I want you to take this stuff to your brothers, check in on them, see how they're doing. And again, from everything we see in Scripture, David was humble and obedient. Yes, sir, and he went and did it, as his father commanded him to do. He was obedient. It's important that as, as a church uh, that we understand if we want to have an impact, we need to be obedient to what God has told us to do. We talk about authority and there will, there will be churches who will tell you, the pastor says, the pastor says, the pastor says. And, and God does put the pastor in a place of some authority in a church. He's the elder, the bishop, the overseer, the underseer, the undershepherd. But, uh, but our authority is God and the scriptures. And hopefully, your pastor is teaching that. Well, we are to be obedient and humble to whatever God tells us to do. A servant willing to obey. And when God says, do this, we do this. And when God says, now I want you to do this, we say, yes, sir. And we go and we do this. And we say, God, whatever you will, I will do. And if we'll start there, we can have a big impact for God in our community and throughout the world. Not only was David humble and obedient and unselfish, but he also knew what was important. Look at verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the, Philist, uh, that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David shows up to the war and there's some guy spouting off in the valley. And he's shouting and screaming about God 
and about his people and about how, what he's going to do to them and how useless God is and how scared and wimpy the men are and all these other things. And David comes and he hears it and he's saying, hey, who is this guy? Have you ever said that about somebody? Uh, you've been watching a politician <laughs> say something and you go, who does he think he is? An athlete, a celebrity, a neighbor, whatever, it doesn't matter, right? They say something and you go, who is this guy? David's sitting there and he looks down in the valley and he sees this guy yelling and screaming and, and uh, sounding foolish and, and he says, who is, who is this? And he, the way he describes it, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Meaning, he's not of God. He doesn't worship God. He doesn't follow God. He's a pagan. Uh, and he says, who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? David understood there was something more important than anything else going on. It was the fact that they were there to serve the living God. And that the living God could take care of them had taken care of them, that God could give them victory, that God could, um, for lack of a better term, shut this person up. And he says, who is this guy that he's going to be defying the armies of the living God? In verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? His brother got mad at him. David, be quiet. David, you know what you're talking about. David, this is man business. David, this is soldier business. You're not a soldier. You just need to be quiet. And David says, what have I done wrong? What have I said that was wrong? He says, is there not a cause for someone to stand up to this nonsense that's going on in the valley? David said, what is being said needs to be stopped. What is being done needs to be stopped. The ridicule that this person is laying on our God needs to be put to an end. Is there not a cause? He understood what was important. And then he depended on God and not himself. When we think about churches in America or throughout the world, and we think about the impact they can have uh, on the world, sometimes some people have the belief that you have to be so big and do so many things and have certain ministries and all these kinds of things to have an impact in a community. And I'm here to tell you, they can, but what has an impact on a community is God's Word. And so the important thing is, is that we are getting out God's Word. It's not that we are a certain size. It's not that we have certain ministries. It's not that we have a certain look. It's not that we have all these things. It is that we are preaching and teaching God's Word fully the truth. And if we do that, that's where the impact comes. And David comes and he says, it's nothing that I can do, it's something that God can do. I have met pastors with good motives, but they're working about what they can do. What can my church do? Now listen, we've got to be active. We've talked about this, I hope you know this. We've got to be, we've got to be active, we've got to be obedient, going. But I've met people who said, if we do this ministry, then we can have an impact. If you don't have this ministry, then you can never have the impact that our church has had. That's not how it works. If I have God, I can have an impact. No matter how big my church is, no matter what my church does, if God is with me, who can be against me? With God, all things are possible. And David understood those things. Look in verse number 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. David is talking to King Saul, and Saul is trying to think through. He doesn't have the credentials. He doesn't have the training. He doesn't have all these things. And David told him a story about the, the lion that came, and, and he killed with his bare hand, and the bear that came, and he killed him. And he says, the same God that delivered me, I didn't kill the lion, I didn't kill the bear, God used me to do those things. The same God that delivered me from those dangers will deliver me from this danger as well. Flip over to verse number 45. Now he stands before Goliath. David is in the valley now with the giant. And the giant says in verse number 
uh, verse number 44, uh, verse 43, sorry. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. So the Philistine has a lot of I thoughts in this. I'm going to destroy you. David returns with an answer in verse 45, and he said, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee, not with a slingshot and five stones, but he says, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will, head, uh, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, and not with slingshot and stones. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David's confidence was not in his great ability. David's confidence was not in his stature. David's confidence was not in his training. It was in his Lord. I imagine that David was very good with a slingshot. I would assume that while he was sitting in the field watching the sheep eat, he probably shot his slingshot a lot. I don't know. I wasn't there. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I'm assuming, just knowing what boys do, uh, probably had a lot of practice with the slingshot. And even though that's what was used to kill Goliath, the slingshot and the stone, not once does David mention it. When he's facing Goliath, and Goliath is there, this giant of a human being with a sword, a spear, and a guy walking in front of him with a shield, David doesn't say, I'm better at my slingshot than you are with your spear. He doesn't say, I'm faster than you because I'm smaller and you're this massive ogre. He says, you've come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. I come to you on behalf of God Almighty, and He will give me the victory today. When you look at our church and what kind of impact our church can have, you have to understand that our church can't have an impact. But God can. We're not going to do it through great singing. We're not going to do it through uh, uh, hospitality. We're not going to do it through certain ministries. We're not going to do it through giving money to certain people. All those things may be included in what we do and what God uses, but God is the one that does it. And David understood that I'm going to go out here and stand before this giant, but I'm not going to go out here and stand on my strength. And I'm not going to come out here and win on my ability, but I'm going to do it by God and through God. A small thing having a great impact. Be humble, obedient, understand what's important, and depend on God and not ourselves. Number two, would you slide back to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. It's backwards in your Bible towards Genesis, a couple pages. Judges chapter 7. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Gideon and his army. Such a unique situation, such a fun, uh, fun, fun read in Scripture. It's interesting here because, again, we're looking at small church, big God, having an impact uh, as a small church. And we see Gideon's army here in, in, in Judges number 7. Look in verse number 1. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod. Um, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. We don't hear a lot of people talk about this, but 
Gideon's army was too big. And I think sometimes, sometimes, please understand me when I say that. Don't put words in my mouth. Sometimes a church can be too big. The army here, God says, there's too many in your army because uh, if I give you the victory with the current army you have, your army is going to say, look what we did. You've got a strong army, a, 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 a large army, and you will go ahead and get the victory, and then everyone's going to turn around and go, look what we did. We won. God said, there's no glory for the Father in that. It's too big. I think it's interesting that uh, sometimes as small churches, we have a tendency to think, well, we're too little to do much. Uh, we're too small to, to have a great impact. And like I said at the beginning, it's because we can't have an impact, but God can. And He will use us to do it. But when we look at our numbers uh, in our church, and if we ever say we're too small, all you got to do is look in Scripture and understand God used things that didn't make sense if I can put it that way, uh, to, to, to do the greatest things in all of Christianity, in all of world evangelism. God used individuals that people would look at and say they're worthless. God used people with incredibly wicked backgrounds and history. and He changed their life and He used them in a mighty way. God used... A, a two men praying to eventually spark a nationwide revival. Two people. To understand that God doesn't need a large church to do great things. He needs His church to be obedient and He will do great things. Here the issue was pride, right? There's pride in numbers. We were big, we were strong, we would get the win. So God says, Gideon, you got too many people. You need to cut it, cut it back. Look in uh, verse number 7. Uh, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. And we're not going through the whole story. You can go back and read at a different time, not right now. Um, uh, the instance that God says, here, have the men go do this. And whichever one's uh, lap, then those are the ones you're keeping. The other one's sent home. And so they get down to 300 men now. And God says to Gideon, these 300, these are the ones we're going to war with. We have to understand that God is responsible. God is the reason. Gideon, you know, he's sitting here as a leader of an army. Strategically, going in with 300 versus the original army didn't make sense. But the confidence is in God. And understand that God is responsible for the victory, that God is responsible for uh, the fight, uh, and that God is responsible for my protection and then we see the obedience and what obedience leads to. And it's what we talk about all the time around here. In verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men they split and surrounded went different places. So there's still 300 total. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle of watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. Again, we're not, I'm, I'm assuming that you know this story. If you don't, it's a wonderful story. Go back and read it. Uh, but they're not coming with swords and spears. They're coming with pitchers and lamps and trumpets. And uh, so they break the pitchers that were in their hands. Verse 20, And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the host fled. We see here what God was doing. There was nothing about the events that took place here that Gideon's army could take pride in. 
they got home and they were telling the story of this great victory that they, that they had. And their wife asked him, how did it go? Did you, uh, you know, do I need to clean your sword? All these kinds of things. And the men would sit around and tell stories around the campfire about, we went into war with pitchers and trumpets. Now, I've heard some trumpet playing that was pretty bad, but, but nothing like this. They broke the pitchers, they played the trumpets, they blew the trumpets, and they yelled what God told them, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the army that they were fighting were so discombobulated, so frightened, over other things that God had done for them, and in them as well, they had dreams and that was getting around and everything, but uh, they started killing each other. They were fighting each other, thinking that it was, they were fighting the other army, and here they are, and they pretty much took care of themselves. Now they did chase, it tells us there in verse 23, that they gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites, so uh, there was that as well. But we see here this, uh, the fact that just obedience leads to victory. From sending people home, shrinking the army down to a size that everybody would look at and go, that doesn't make any sense. To then surrounding the army, holding a pitcher and a trumpet. Uh, maybe they had swords on their belts, I don't know. But what we read about, they had a pitcher and a trumpet. And they went, sword of the Lord of the Gideon. And then they sat there and went, well, that was easy. You see, an army of 300 had no chance, honestly, against their opponents, the Midianites. But God is always greater. And because Gideon and his army obeyed, they found victory. When we look at our church and the impact that we can have, we have to understand that if we don't obey, we won't have an impact. You know, we have to obey individually, yes, we do. We have to, in our own lives, do what God tells us to do. But as a church, we have to obey. As a church, we have to follow God. As a church, we have to uh, heed and seek what God desires for us and then do what He desires for us. We set things on our schedule, and we do them because we believe God wants us to do them. Sometimes we will take them off. Things that will do different things, we'll try different things, whatever it may be. But we do them for a purpose. And then we seek for God to do something through it. And there have been many times where you do something and I go, you know, at the end of the day, boy, that was a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of energy and it didn't, didn't turn out the way that we expected or hoped that it would. But I just have to sit and say, God, we believed you wanted us to do it and we did it. So we're going to depend on you to bring some fruit from it. And he does. And sometimes it's not even in stuff that we notice off the bat. It might be something that over time, at least for me and many times, maybe I'm just ignorant or blind of things, but for me many times I'll look back two years later and think, you know what, now that I think about it, that was a result of this thing that we did and thought nothing came from it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Obedient. Don't get down on the fact that we're not, and I don't think we are, but don't get down on the fact that we're not a large church. Do we want to grow? Yes, we want to grow. That's not our main focus, our main emphasis. Our, our, our main focus is following God, doing what God desires for us to do, and depending on Him to bring in the fruit from it. Because we can very easily fall into the trap that the army would have had if God not cut it down to pride. Look what we did. Look what we accomplished. There's no place for pride in serving God. All the glory should go to Him. So we see the importance of being humble and dependent on God, being obedient uh, to God. And then lastly, let's turn to John chapter 6.
John chapter 6 is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Christ was teaching and preaching, and it was about dinner time. And the disciples said, Jesus, uh, we're going to have to break. People are going to be hungry. We don't have a way to feed them. You remember Christ asked his disciples, well, how much money do we have? And, well, we've got this much, but it's, it's not enough. Uh, Philip answers in verse number 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, saw a great multitude of coming to come. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that they may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. But Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, uh, um, that every one of them may take a little and uh, another disciple comes to, to Jesus here, Andrew, and he says in verse number 9, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Well, what are they among so many? Isn't it interesting that Andrew comes and he's, it's almost like, I've got a solution. We've got a lad here. He's got a, a lunch. Uh, well, never mind. That was a stupid idea. That's almost like what he's saying, right? What are, what are they about among so many? It's, it's like, hey, I'll bring you this idea. And then he realizes, yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> That's not going to do the job. Which is, to me, it's hilarious because Philip says we have 200 penny worth uh, that we could buy bread with. And that's not enough. And this guy comes in with the idea of, hey, but well, we got this guy. He's got two small fishes and, and five barley loaves. I'm not great on, on Bible uh, uh, money exchanging, but I think 200 penny worth is more than that. Anyways, we see that the lad uh, here, from everything that we understand, the lad was willing to give up his lunch. It wasn't like Andrew stole his lunch from him and stole the food that he had. I think it's important for us to understand if we want to be used of God, we have to give what we have. From what we know about this, this boy, he was willing to give what he had. Hey, if this can help, you can have it. A lot of times in the small churches of America, most people who come to the church say, I really don't have much. And I, I've met, all my life, I've met people in small churches who say, I don't have much, but if it can help. If we want to be used of God, we have to be a church that's willing to give what we have. Is it ability? Is it time? Is it energy? Is it ideas? It can be money. I don't want us to focus on that, though. We should give. If God wants us to give money, we should give money just like we should give time and everything else. We got to give what we have. Because it's not us that's doing the, the impacting, it's God that's doing it. And what does God ask of us? He just asks obedience, willingness. God, I, I'm willing. Here's what I have. If you can use it, use it. And guess what? He will. Does God need it? No. God has everything He needs. Yet all throughout Scripture, he teaches us that he wants us. He wants us. He wants us to be willing to give, willing to serve, and willing to do. We have to understand that it's, it's enough for God. The Bible says there uh, in verse number 10, Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was... Much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, uh, and to them, excuse me, dis distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he sent his, said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And it tells us that they gathered up 12 baskets full. To know that what I have is enough for God. 
I can throw myself a pity party about all that I don't have. I talk with uh, my son, uh, who's gifted musically, plays some instruments. And uh, I tell him how neat it is and how cool it is. And I've always told him, if I was good at instruments, I wouldn't be where I was today. I, I, God didn't let me do that because he knew my pride would, would have gotten me. And as much as I would love to be able to pick and grin and sing with the best of them, I just say, God, here's what I have. And it's enough. You know, me and my wife are scheduled to sing next week. So if you haven't heard me sing, you'll understand it's not great. Not mine. Hers is fine. Say, God, here's what I have. And he said, hey, that's enough. I always told my friends in college, I'll never be a pastor. There was a point in my life where I said, God, here's what I have. And he said, it's enough. I want you to go. In our church, we may not have much. We have, God has blessed us, right? Please don't minimize what God has done for our church. But compared to other churches, we can look around and we go, well, we don't have much. And God says, it's enough. In order for our church to have an impact, we just have to give what we have. We have to continue going forward in our, in our uh, output of energy. We think of giving so often as just a financial thing. The re reality is, is, is God desires our time, our heart, our focus. That's what he's asking for. Will he ask for us to give money? Sure, but we get so caught up on that. And God says, I just, I want your, I want your focus. Think on me. Study. Read the book that I've given you. Pray. Talk to me. Walk as I've told you to walk. I don't know about you, but I, most of you have been invested in this church long enough that I'd like to think that you desire for God to use this church in a, in a special way. Now, me and my family, we've, we've been at it since day one, right? We don't want it to be for nothing. God wants to do something in this church. God wants to do something through this church. Are we going to let him? It's not going to be by our strength. It's not going to be by our ability. It's not going to be by our growth. It's going to be by God and what he does. Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to give what you have? If we together are willing to do those three things, we're not going to be put into Scripture, for Scripture's already written. We're going to be remembered by God. And God will use us to do something spectacular in our community and possibly throughout the world. But we've got to commit to it. We simply just have to do what God's asked us to do. May we go forward serving God as a small church. Because even though we're a small church, we have a big God. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for establishing this church. Thank you for bringing these people here. Thank you for bringing us here. God, I pray that you'd help us as we strive uh, to, take, uh, to use what you've given us, this, this beautiful building and this beautiful property and this great location. God, we desire for this church to be used of you. God, I pray that you'd help us. Humble us. Well, Lord, I pray that we'd humble ourselves so you don't have to. But Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be obedient. And Lord, continue to give us a giving spirit, willing to give what we have to follow you and to allow you to work in our lives and in our church.
So God, help us on an individual level and help us on a corporate church level as well. Lord, we want to be used of you. And we have to have you in order to do it. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nine as we continue through this psalm. <clears throat> and uh, let's read through these verses. We're looking at verses 49 through 56. The Bible says, Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. For thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. This I had because I kept thy precepts. So we're going to look at three thoughts uh, here this afternoon. We're going to look at a request, uh, what we need to recognize, and what we need to remember. Lord, I pray for your help this, this afternoon as we uh, continue through Psalm 119. I'm so thankful for this uh, psalm, so thankful for your word and what we can garner from it. And I pray that we would, uh, again this afternoon, be encouraged by your word and challenged by it. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us as we uh, are done with lunch and um, uh, we've got the whole family in here today. Lord, I just pray that you'd uh, help us to be able to focus for just the next several minutes and, and help us to receive from you here this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at a request in verse number 49. Again, the Bible says, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. The word hope typically looks to the future, does it not? Uh, I hope so. I, I hope that one day, all those kinds of things, looking to the future. But hope is only as good as what the promise that that hope is based on. Um, if someone were to say they have a broke down car, say, do you think your car will start tomorrow? Well, I sure hope so. That hope's probably not very strong. When we look at hoping in Scripture or hoping in the Word, uh, it, it brings a whole different connotation because hope is typically unsatisfying. Um, when someone says, I hope so, typically there's not a whole lot of great confidence in it. Uh, you know, I, I like sports. Hey, will your team win the championship? I hope so. But there's no, no promise in it. There's no confidence in it. There's no certainty in it whatsoever. But when we're talking about God's Word, hope is different. In my Bible, I have the word, um, word, the third word of the verse, and the word hope, the last word of the verse, circled, and I have a line drawn to them to connect them. Our hope is based off the promises in God's Word. When it comes to hoping in God, hoping in the Lord, it is based on the promises of God's Word. And, and a request that we should ask is, is not uh, remember me so much as it is remember the Word. Uh, remember we've talked about this with David in, in his Psalms where he is praying and he's reminding God, not that God needs reminded, but he's reminding God of who He is, of who God is. God, remember you're merciful. God, remember you're gracious. God, remember you're forgiving. Uh, kind of just saying, Lord, please don't give me what I deserve. Remember who you are. Same is true here in this verse. He says, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. So my hope is based on your word. God, remember your word. <clears throat> then we need to recognize in verse number 50 and 51, uh, we need to recognize verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction. For thy word hath quickened me. We know that to be made me alive. Uh, the proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy law. We need to recognize that God's word brings comfort. You know, I, this is my, first, my first word of counsel to anyone going through hardship is, is read. There is... Prayer is so important. Prayer is so powerful. We need to be praying. But my first piece of counsel is read. And you know me. I hate to read. If it weren't for the Bible, I would think reading was a sin. It's wicked. Why in the world would you waste your time doing it? Um, they say all the great leaders in the world read, and then they name off all these wicked leaders that read books. 
not falling into that trap. Um, we need to read God's Word. It brings so much comfort. Uh, a man that was in our church in Indiana, he passed uh, um, last year, I guess, two years ago. Um, we've prayed for Courtney, it was her grandfather, Ed. And when we came to the church in Indiana and uh, began pastoring, Ed was such an encouragement. He was just one of those guys that uh, was there to encourage. And Ed had been through a lot in his life. He was paralyzed from the waist down uh, while he was in the military. A very freak accident. Um, he was uh, sleeping on top of or getting up on top of a roof because the guy that was supposed to replace him at his guard post was sleeping. So he was getting up to wake him up and have him come to his post. And uh, shrapnel hit him from an explosion and paralyzed him. And, uh, and so he had that. He had been through um, broken marriage. Uh, marriage is, actually. Um, and he had been through some dark times in his life. And he told me, he said, Vince, he said, when I uh, was going through my darkest of times through my divorce, he said, the book of Psalms, it, it, it kept me stable and eventually pulled me out of the darkness. And although he had friends that were encouraging him, family that was encouraging him, it was God's Word that brought the comfort. It's good for us, we should as Christians, uh, as family with one another, Christians, brothers and sisters, we should encourage and edify and lift up and comfort one another. But nothing is going to have the power that God's Word has. And you need to read it, it's going to bring comfort. Through troubles, through trials, through afflictions, all those things should push us to our Bibles. Yet, oftentimes, and we've talked about this before, when we're going through those moments, we run from the Bible. We get farther away from God. Whether it's our angry at God or whether that it's just we are depending on ourselves to pull us out, whatever it is, it seems like too many Christians, they go through a hardship and they go away from God. We should draw closer in those moments. Understanding that and through God's Word, we can find comfort. God's Word brings justice. We talk about God being a just God, a righteous God, meaning, and I've said this I know a million times, but meaning that He must punish evil and reward good because He is just. And so when you come to God's Word, it brings justice because it helps us see that when I'm doing what God tells me to do, God will take care of me. So yes, that brings comfort, but it also helps me understand that when I do right, it doesn't mean I'm not going to go through the trial, but it means that God is going to bring me through it at, at some point. And God will be with me during the trial as well. David got laughed at. We looked at this this morning, and then he slew Goliath. You know, you sit there and, and people would, would, would ridicule David for his stand, for his doing what it seems like all of the trained soldiers should have done. And because he had faith in God, he saw justice. He was rewarded. We just have to obey God. And, and listen, I hope this doesn't come across as me giving you a checklist of things to do, because that's not the Christian life. But it has to start somewhere. And we start with the simple obedience of doing the simple things, so the reading God's Word, the praying, the going to a place that teaches God's Word, the church. If we'll just start with those three simple things, that's the diving board, that's the trampoline, that's where we start from. Yes, there's more to it than that, but we've got to start. So many people say, well, you know, I can't read for a long period of time, or I can't read a whole chapter. Okay, read a verse. Read a section of a chapter. Uh, some people say, well, uh, an honor, this is an honest thing that happens to a lot of people. Well, I started to read, and I started in Genesis, and I'm just going to read through, and then all of a sudden they get into some books that it's, for lack of a better term, boring, hard. The application of it isn't as clear for us today. It's there, it's still applicable, it's still right, it's still profitable, as God says. But it's hard. So I always tell people, if you're going to start reading the Bible, if you're not reading the Bible and you're going to start reading the Bible, you start in John or you start in Romans. And understand you don't have to read from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. A lot of people will start in Revelation. They've heard a lot about it, think it's cool. 
Well, if you're just starting to read the Bible and you start at Revelation, it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying it's not going to be easy. There are better places to start. Nonetheless, what's important is that you're doing it. Some people will read and they get discouraged because they don't understand something. And instead of trying to study and find out the answer or asking for help, they just close the Bible. Say, well, didn't work for me. I didn't get it. It's a starting point. Obey. Recognize that God's Word brings comfort and justice. And you will, if you'll read, you'll see those things. It'll be very obvious to you. Then, number three, we need to remember. And very simply, we just need to remember who God is. Another thing I say a lot is, if you know who God is, you're more apt to serve Him. You're more apt to obey Him. And when you're going through life, and in this situation, in this part of this psalm, the psalmist is going through some trials. And what helps the most is understanding who God is, remembering who God is. Look in verse 52. I remember thy judgment of old, O Lord, and I comforted myself through the remembrance of what God had done. It says, Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake the law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. As I've wandered, as I've run, as I've been attacked, as the wicked have been forsaking your law and making my life hard and maybe even miserable at times, he says, thy statutes have been my songs. That's been my focus. Again, when you're going through hardships, what are you focusing on? What are you thinking about? The Bible says whatsoever things are pure and honest, and, and I'm going to get them all mixed up, but think on these things. What do you think, think on when you're going through trials and struggles? Do you think about the struggle? Do you think about the trial? Do you think about the people who hurt you? Do you think about the, the hill that you're about to climb? Or do you remember God's statutes? Do you remember who God is? Verse 55, I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. Uh, in Sunday school with the teenagers, we're getting ready to go through some of the attributes of God and uh, some of the names of God and different things like that as well. And It's a great thing to look at and a great thing to understand. It's a, it's a relatively easy study if you take the time to research it and go through it. And learning what, who God is and what God does and what God is capable of and what His names mean. He's called by several different names which outline really His, his characteristics. And we see this, this wonderful thing about it. And here the psalmist says, Thy statutes have been my songs. And then he says, I have remembered Thy name, O Lord, in the night, and I've kept Thy law. I believe that the keeping of the law is a result of remembering the Lord's name. I believe that the obedience that the psalmist is, is portraying here is a result of remembering who God is. Because I'm telling you, listen, I'm a dad. I'm not perfect. My kids would tell you things that would make me blush that I would just be so embarrassed if they did. That's why we threaten them within an inch of their life. My kids obey me because I'm their dad and because there's a consequence if they don't. But there are times where I tell my kid to do something and I guarantee that they've thought, well, dad tells me to do this because God says, children, obey your parents. But God also says, don't be angry like that. And they can see my faults. And they may obey me because they don't want to suffer the consequences of not obeying, but their heart's not obedient because of who the authority is and the example that they've given. But with God, He doesn't make mistakes. With God, when God says, do this, I can never look at God and say, well, you say that I'm supposed to obey you, but then you went off and did this. Well, I saw you do this, or I heard you say this, or whatever it may be. With God, if I remember who God is, it will lead to obedience. 
If I remember who God is, good and bad, right? I say bad, God's not bad, but good and bad. If I remember who God is in the sense that uh, God sees everything that I do, it, it should help me obey. If I know who God is and God says, I hate sin and sin has consequences, it'll help me obey. At the same, same light, if I understand who God is, understand God loves me and he gave his son for me, it should help me obey. How much God is, has, if I can use the word, invested in me. The fact that the, the mercy, the grace, the love, the forgiveness, the kindness, the patience, that should help me obey. Remember who God is. Verse number 56, he closes the psalm, or this section of the psalm. This I had because I kept thy precepts. I had the, the, the reminders. I had the comfort. I had the, uh, uh, the knowledge because I kept thy precepts. You're not going to see what God did for you unless you're obedient. I hope that makes sense. Um, God blesses obedience. And if you've never been obedient before, you're missing out on what God can do. Or if you haven't been obedient in a long time, maybe you've forgotten what God has done for you. Story of the prodigal son, and when he finally gets to rock bottom, as we'd say, and he's sitting there eating with the pigs one day, and he'd rather be eating the pigs than with the pigs. And he remembers, you know, my dad's servants have it better than I do. I can go home and I can be a servant for my dad because I've seen what dad does for his servants. He takes care of them, he feeds them, he houses them, he clothes them. He remembered what his dad did for his servants, but he forgot what his dad did for his children. And the prodigal son goes marching back down the road, rehearsing his speech. And it's a parable, it's a story given to us, but he's rehearsing his speech and the, and the dad sees him coming. And the dad runs out to greet him and he hugs him and he kisses him and he rejoices that his son had come home. And his son was reminded of how his dad treats his children. But when he thought back to his dad, he thought about how he treated his servants. And that was way better than he treated, than he was being treated with the pigs currently. But in obedience, understand how God treats his children. Understand how God takes care of his family. And if you'll remember who God is and what God has done, it should help you to obey. But the more you obey, the more you're going to see God. The more you walk in His ways, the more that you read Scripture, the more that you study Scripture, the more that you pray, the more that you faithfully attend church. And I know I'm a pastor, and I know that's, you think it's cliche, but I'm telling you it's right. The more that you do these things, the more you're going to see God. The more you're going to know God. The more you're going to understand God. And then it's going to help you to be more obedient. But it starts with the simple things. And understand that if you read your Bible for two minutes in the morning and don't come back to it for the rest of the day, it's better than no minutes. But you're not going to get a lot there. But it's got to start somewhere. Read, pray, come to church. I believe, and I'm very biased on this, that we go to a church where the Bible is presented clearly truthfully and I hope that you do too if you don't you, you shouldn't be here <laughs> All right. or maybe you should at least talk to me first and then we can go from there but uh, the Bible is what helps us the Bible is what changes us the Bible is what brings us comfort the Bible is what teaches us who God is and how we're supposed to live to honor and please him all of Psalm 119 is about God's word and I'm telling you, it's crucial. So request for God's help, for the hope of God. 
recognize God's Word brings comfort and justice and remember who God is. It will help you do what God desires for you to do. Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful in your Word. We're so blessed. I, I just I wish that just for a week we could live in a country that doesn't allow God's Word so that we could just see how precious it is. But Lord, thank you for letting us have your Word. And God, I pray that you would... Um, grow us. I pray that we'd be more faithful, more obedient. And Lord, I pray that you would comfort us through your word, grow us through your word, teach us through your word. God, I pray that you would um, just strengthen us as individuals, as families, and as a church. Lord, that we can be the lighthouse that you desire for us to be. And God, as we seek to follow the Bible's pathway, would you continue to guide us as you promised that you would? Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be back on Wednesday night at 7.